the 110th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. Black holding high, goes to Darty. Darty in the double team, gives it back to Black with 20 seconds left to play. Goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! Rebounded by Weber. Michigan out of timeout. Weber front court, Carolina with foul. He takes the timeout, they're out of timeout. Technical foul, technical foul on Michigan. Ed Corbett says he can run the baseline, hands in the ball. Brown gets it into Williams. Here comes Williams front court. Williams on the drive. Gets it back out to him. Long outside shot. Short rebounded. May. It's over. Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72. And how about them Tar Heels? They are the national champions. Matthews off the mark. And this year, the confetti is going to fall for North Carolina. They're not going to be denied this time. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys once again today. Mere hours after Carolina in the first round of the NCAA tournament gets past Marquette 95-263 to advance to the second round of the NCAA tournament. Um, as Carolina secured the largest margin of victory in an 8-9 game in the history of the Big Dance. Um, to earn Hubert Davis his first ever win in March Madness, he is now 1-0 in March as Carolina's head basketball coach. Carolina also improves to 14-1 and in NCAA tournament play on St. Patrick's Day. That lone loss coming all the way back in 1996 against Texas Tech. And it was a historic day for Carolina. Mentioned that 32-point margin of victory being the largest ever in an 8-9 game. Carolina also made 13 three-pointers, the most ever in an NCAA tournament game. And Armando Baycott, who already set the record for most double-doubles in a single season of Carolina basketball, now has the most total rebounds in a single season of Carolina basketball, surpassing Bryce Johnson's mark he set back during the 2015-16 season. Buddy, we entered the game confident that Carolina was going to win the game, could win the game, should win the game. And I, that, was, that was the thought process. A lot of people around the country thought Carolina was going to win the game. But I don't think anybody saw us winning the game in that convincing fashion. But we're not going to complain either because it's a lot more fun having the game won at halftime as opposed to sweating it out the last three or four minutes of, of the second half. Of, a, of an NCAA tournament game. Well, that's the thing. Even the games that Carolina has won in the tournament, really since their national title run, and even during that national title run, most of them have been nail biters. Um, you know, I mean, you look at the last three games that Carolina played in the NCAA tournament, the year they won the national championship, uh, they, they all came down to the final two to three minutes. The most comfortable win was the national championship game, and you won by five. So, you know, I, I asked you during the game at one point, what, what is, you know, how is this comparable to some of the most recent tournament wins in terms of the most comfortable? Like, it feels like it has been a very long time since you've had this comfortable of a win. And you probably go back to that first round of that title run against Texas Southern. But even with that, you know, that was sort of expected. That was a one versus a 16. You were expected to come out and dominate. This – you know, for Carolina to come out and be this dominant against the team that we thought, and a, and a lot of people did, that this team just presented some challenges that Carolina hadn't really faced this season. Um, and when they had faced stuff that was similar, they had struggled. We thought that they would be in for a battle. Um, now, yeah, of course, Carolina is, is looked at, I think, as, as a lot of people's 
you know, sort of Cinderella in that part of the bracket to make a deeper run. But at the same time, I feel like a lot of people were kind of of the same mindset. I could see Carolina getting to the Sweet 16, some even the Elite Eight, but I could see Carolina losing the first game in this tournament. And I think we all thought that was possible. But from pretty much from the word go, you had Carolina go up 5 nothing. You had the response from Marquette. Carolina was struggling a little bit shooting from the field early on. They were taking a lot of outside jumpers that weren't going. But once those started to fall and they got in a little bit of a rhythm, and then once they went on that 11-0 run, that was it. There, there was there was no breaking that, um, and they just dominated from from there on out. And, and, and look, you know, Marquette didn't shoot the ball great, but in that first half, that was the second time in a week where you've watched Carolina play and you've said teams just can't seem to score the basketball against Carolina right now. And that is a far cry from where we were earlier this season where we were saying teams can't seem to not score the basketball against Carolina. They could throw up any shot and it's going in. So the progress that this team has made is just amazing. Yeah, they've, they've definitely come a long way. Um, you know, we could go as far back a month and a half to the start of February until now, but really since Pittsburgh, when it looked like the NCAA tournament was bleak for this team, they had to win a lot of games that we didn't trust them to win. And it just – but they, they were able to turn it around. And they and, – and, and it's a lot of credit to Hubert Davis and the staff. And, uh, you know, it's, it's really been a pleasure to watch this team the last couple of weeks. Um, and, and it's a really good feeling to know that they're not done playing because they still have a lot in front of them – that they can accomplish. So let's take a look at the box score for Carolina. Um, and it, it's a pretty one. They shot 46% from the field compared to just 36% for Marquette. Three-point shooting favored 37% for Carolina compared to just 26% for Marquette. Free throw shooting, 82% for Carolina. They were 14 of 17. Meanwhile, Marquette was just 38% from the foul line. They were just three of eight. Rebounding, Carolina took advantage of a smaller Golden Eagles team. They out-rebounded them on the glass, 52 to 37 overall, 15 to 13 on the offensive glass, 37 to 24 on the defensive glass. As for the assist, Carolina 29 assists on 34 made baskets. Um, as R.J. Davis handed out 12 assists by himself. Marquette, 15 assists on 26 made baskets. Uh, Marquette did outsteal Carolina 5-4. Uh, to four. They did outblock Carolina 7-4. to four. Both teams with 10 turnovers. Carolina's largest lead of the game was 35. The largest lead for Marquette was just one or was, was, was two when it was 10-8. to eight. Let's move on now to the stat of the game, or no, our quote of the game, excuse me. Um, we actually go to a player, and we go to Leaky Black, a guy we'll talk about a little bit later in the show. And he spoke on Hubert Davis getting his first win in the NCAA tournament. And he says it means everything. He is a great coach. He's going to be a Hall of Famer at the end of the day. And this, this is the first step for him. So pretty high praise from Leaky Black, um, a guy who we knew upon the hiring of Hubert Davis. Um, he, he meant a lot to him. And um, we've really seen their relationship come to life during this season. And really the, le- the last couple of weeks as Leaky has elevated his game to take this team to another level. Let's move on now to the stat of the game. Um, and we go to three-point shooting. Carolina, 13 of 35. from behind the three-point line. As I mentioned, um, those 13 made threes are the most in program history in the NCAA tournament. Meanwhile, Marquette was just 8 of 31 for 26%. 
Let's get in some more takeaways from the win for Carolina. And it starts and ends with Brady Manick and Caleb Love. They were the two best players on the court today. Um, Brady Manick scored 28 points, and Caleb Love added 23 as he made six three-pointers in the first half. And, um, you know, the, the NCAA tournament is about guard play. Everybody knows that. But you got to have a big to go with you as well. Um, and Carolina's got two of them, and Baycott and Manic. They both just get the job done in different ways. But um, you know, I you could thought you could tell early on that Marquette was trying to to rattle Caleb Love, trying to get into his head. But he showed a level of maturity that um, he has started to display as of recent weeks. Um, as I mentioned, making all six of those threes in the first half. That's tied for the most in an in a in, in an NCAA tournament game in the history of the program. He did in the first 18 minutes um, of the first half. And then Brady Manick, 28 points, 10 of 15 from the field, 5 of 10 from the uh, from behind the three-point line, added 11 rebounds as well. Um, him, along with Leaky Black, are the two most experienced players in terms of playing in the NCAA tournament. And Carolina really led off and fed off of him. Um, and I thought those two guys today – were, were better than any player that Marquette on the court, and they didn't have an answer for him, and that's a big reason why Carolina advanced to the second round. I mean, Carolina may have had the best five players on the court, maybe even more, because um, that Marquette team, I'm going to be honest with you, I, I said it to you when we were watching the game. I don't know how that team was a nine seed. Um, but, you know, it's coming in again. There, there were a lot of people that thought, that this could be a, a, a tough matchup for Carolina. And I thought that you saw guys that came out motivated. Um, you know, that there was – and there was reason to believe, you know, what would Carolina come out like? Are they satisfied with the fact that they beat Duke? Um, are they going to, you know, read into the fact that, you know, people are picking them as, as one of the favorites to make a deeper run as a higher seed? So, um and, and that was not an issue at all. And you're right. I think with Caleb Love especially, uh, you know, look, I, I think, yeah, there there was a, a mindset from Marquette that they were going to try to get into his head. And I think it worked against him because he was a guy he, – he's a guy that we've seen it before. When he gets fired up and he gets passionate, he's a different player. So, they, if that's the strategy that teams want to go against with him – Feel free because when he's locked in, he is. I mean, he, he is as good of a player as there is offensively in college basketball. Um, his range from beyond the arc is it just continued to grow as the season's gone along. And when he you know gets downhill and drives the basket, he, he's tough to handle. Um, but Brady Manick, I, I, I've said it multiple times, you know, late in the season and, and definitely coming into the NCAA tournament. He's a guy that's been here before. He's made deep runs in the NCAA tournament before with teams that were frankly less talented than this Carolina team. So he knows what it takes to win these types of games. And he's been in these types of games before where his team has been um, you know, favored heavily and you have to live up to the expectations. So I thought that you, you saw the leadership from him Oozed through, and you saw a guy that was just comfortable in this situation. He made the shots that he needed to, and Caleb Love was right there with him. And, and that's the Caleb Love that, if we see that Caleb Love more often than not in this NCAA tournament, you've got a really good feeling about where this team can eventually finish out. It's all about consistency, though, with him, and we'll see if that carries over into the second game of this weekend. A big talking point entering the game was how Carolina was going to defend Justin Lewis, Marquette's leading scorer and rebounder on the season. And um, we knew Leaky Black was going to draw the assignment, something he was very familiar with doing, as usually night in, night out, he, he drew the best or, or the toughest defensive assignment for the opponent. And he did a, a remarkable job. He held Lewis to just 0 of 8 shooting in the first half. He was 2 of 15 from the game overall. He scored just 6 points, 11 points below his season average. And it really looked like once it became apparent that Justin Lewis wasn't going to get what he wanted to get, um, like he'd kind of gotten accustomed to during the, uh, the his, his time in the Big East play, Marquette didn't really know what to do. Uh, 
Daryl Morsell was the only other player on their roster that averaged double-figure scoring during the regular season, and it kind of showed. Prosper came out of nowhere to lead them in scoring with 16 points, but this was a team that had Justin Lewis been able to come in, take control of the game, and dominate the game, Marquette would have had a really good chance to win the game. But we knew if you took him out of what he wanted to do and what makes you know what makes him a great player, the other guys on their roster weren't good enough to beat you. And I thought not only did Carolina do a great job on Lewis, but all the other guys, they just made it really hard on them to get offense, and that's why they only gave up 63 points and this game was over at halftime. Yeah, I mean, Prosper got off to a really solid start. I mean, he had 11 of the first 19 points for the team. But as you mentioned, he finished with 16. So even with him, he got off to a hot start. But that's one of the guys that you were like, okay, if it's between Lewis, Morcell, and Prosper, I think we can live with Prosper being the guy because this is a guy that's not known for being a big-time scorer for them. And I I think it worked out. Carolina knew where their focus needed to be, and that was on Justin Lewis. That was one of your keys to the game was being able to slow him down because he came in averaging 17 points a game. And that's, you know, Carolina's played guys like that this season, but it had been a while since Carolina played a team that had really one dominant guy that you had to lock in on. And we knew that it wasn't going to be much of a problem, or at least you felt pretty – damn confident and that hey that that worked out in your favor yet again because man we we talked in the preseason about which Tar Heel player would benefit the most from the coaching change and we talked about Caleb Love RJ Davis in the backcourt primarily um those guys we said Kerwin Walton was a guy that was thrown in there as well and nobody talked about Leaky Black. Um, we thought that maybe he would be a guy that would find a different role. I mean, I think there was a one time I even said, yeah, he'll probably be finding a, a, a more comfortable role for himself off the bench. The fact that this has become maybe Carolina's most important player is amazing. I mean, he... Without him, and, and he's going to be huge coming up here in the second game of the weekend. But without him, you really wonder where this team would be. And again today, yet another assignment of a guy that has had success all season and is a little bit different than some of the guys that he's been matched up here with recently. Comes out and just does what we knew he was going to do. He locked him down. I mean, a hold. Lewis to two of 15 shooting is just amazing. And the thing is, I mean, Lewis had to know it was coming at him. Marquette knew that Leakey was going to be the main guy on him. And no matter what they did, they still couldn't free him up. They still couldn't get him the shots that he needed to, to be able to knock down uh, and and score points. And and you just got to give him credit, man. It doesn't matter what they throw at him at this point defensively. He has seemed to just take it and run with it and has become one of the best lockdown defenders in all of college basketball. And it's probably at this point, unless I'm just missing it, he might be the best perimeter defender in all of college basketball right now. He's definitely got an argument. Um, and it's really not, not just about – it's a lot about him. But – not many teams ask just one guy to be this dominant defensively. And he has done it night in, night out on a consistent basis. And that's something that's really hard to do, especially in this era of basketball where it's all about scoring and, and, and being sexy and everything like that. He does the dirty work. He, 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 he takes away the best player on, on offense. He gets rebounds. He gets high. He gets the assist. And if his offense is there, great. If not, it doesn't affect the, what he does on the other end of the court. A big reason why Carolina's offense was working the way that it worked today was their ball movement. Um, as we mentioned, 29 assists on 34 made baskets and 12 of them came from RJ Davis as he recorded the second most assists in an NCAA tournament game in Carolina history trailing only Kendall Marshall who had 14 back during his time at Carolina he did it in front of Raymond Felton 
who was in the building for tonight's game, a, a former Tar Heel point guard who won a Koozie Award and also guided Carolina to that 2005 National Championship. And um, one of the things we've seen Hubert Davis do the last couple of weeks is R.J. Davis is now the guy who initiates the offense. Yes, the ball does get into Caleb Love's hands in their offensive set, but it's after R.J. is a, is initiating the motion, their action, whatever they're trying to get at that point in time of the game. And I thought today he just did a really good job reading the defense, reacting to the defense, and making the right, correct, smart passes. But then the team overall, the ball, the ball just moved. And I really thought it wore Marquette out in that first half because the ball was going inside out. It was switching sides of the court. And it really took a team who prides itself on being – um, who prides himself on being really intense defensively, they had to back off a little bit because the ball movement was too much. And um, it's something that this team I struggled with at times during the season. But you go back to the Duke game, they had a lot of assists and a lot of made baskets. They scored 94 points and got a big win. Tonight, 29 assists on 34 made baskets. And that's a big reason why they're moving on to take on Baylor sometime on Saturday. Yeah, it, it, it's and it's it's really been building to this. This isn't something that should have caught people off guard because, yeah, I mean, Carolina's been doing this a lot more throughout the, as the season has progressed. And it's been a recipe for when they've been the most successful offensively is you've got to move the ball. And, yeah, you've got to be smart about it. But when this team – when they have – You know, 15-plus assists, but I think if they get to that 20 assists mark, that has seemed to be the magic number. Now, today was just above and beyond. But early in the season, and even really even more so towards the middle of the season, when you started to see Carolina struggle offensively, the biggest problem was the stagnant offense. Guys standing around, leading to bad shots, late the shot clock. You don't see that anymore. Yeah, are there times where it gets late in the shot clock and Carolina ends up having to take a bad shot? Yeah, it happens. But for the most part, that's due to the fact that they've tried to drive the lane. They've ran screens and it hasn't freed them up. They've put the ball inside and you just can't back a guy down and get post position. It's really just the defense has done a good enough job and they've forced you to take a tough shot. Um, and that's what you are wanting from this offense. You want an offense that dictates the looks that they get. And that, that, that works best when you move the ball, when you move without the basketball as well. And they did both of those things really, really well today. And yeah, you're starting to see a guy in RJ Davis that should have been the point guard for this team all along. And I really hate the fact that, Roy Williams wasn't able to be the guy that figured that out a year ago. And you got to give Hubert Davis a lot of credit. And it took Hubert a little bit of time this year. But I think that as the season has gone along, that light bulb has gone on that, look, even if RJ isn't the perfect fit at the point guard, he's one, a better fit than Caleb Love. And two, Caleb is clearly better off the ball at this point. So those two factors working together, I think, has really helped take this Carolina offense back to, uh, you know, being one of the best in all of college basketball. And that's really been the difference. Look at their biggest wins so far this season. And, I mean, today I think has to be up there. But most of the – I mean, their big wins this season – They've gotten it done because they've scored the ball offensively. Duke, Marquette today, Michigan. Those are the types of performances you want to see from this team. And look, they're going to have to do the same thing on Saturday, but you should feel confident about where this team is at offensively right now. I know it wasn't a great showing in Brooklyn, but I feel like right now the way that they're playing offensively, should have you feeling pretty confident going in. A bit, another, the last thing that really came out of uh, 
today's game, and it's going to be important moving into Saturday, was Carolina got production from their bench. Um, Carolina played no starter more than 34 minutes, um, so that meant some guys got some run off the bench, Puff, mainly Puff Johnson and Dontrez Styles. Um, Puff with 11 points, 5 of 7 shooting from the field, 1 of 2 from behind the three-point line. Dontrez Styles 6 points, 3 of 3 from the field, and Kerwin Walton got two points, um, making one of his two baskets. Also, the Blue Squad entered the game in the final minute or so as well. But, um, you know, we talked about this after the Virginia Tech game where Puff had to play 18 minutes due to foul trouble, and it was, look, Puff, if you got to be on the court, you got to give us some offensive production. Um, today, you know, they didn't need the production. It was just glad to be, that it was there because you got some a chance to rest your players. But if Carolina is going to go far, they got to get some help from these guys. And I think it's really important for Puff and Dontrez, the two guys who have gotten the most playing time off the bench since Hubert Davis shortened the, the rotation after he lost Anthony Harris to suspension and Dawson Garcia to family matters, that those guys got some experience some minutes on the court in the NCAA tournament, and then some confidence. Confidence that whenever when they're on the court, they can take shots and make shots and, and, and be and, and, and make plays and stuff like that. Because um, if Carolina wants to take Baylor down, they're going to need a guy or two off the bench to come in and give them something positive. I think today was a step to building towards that in the right direction. And uh, yeah, it's a good sign. And I know, look, the game was probably in, in a good enough spot where Hubert Davis felt like he could go to him early. But the fact that we saw Dontres Styles as early as we did, I believe we actually saw him before we saw Puff on the floor, um, is, is a good sign that, look, confidence is, is starting to be built there. Um, and yeah, that, that's the thing. If you could even get back to seven guys that you could have confidence in. That would be huge because that was where you were early in the season. Um, you know, with that, with that floating Kerwin Walton question mark, but you know, it's, it's, it's been a tough road. I mean, look, they, there was a time, you know, earlier, just a, about a month ago, um, a little over a month ago where you honestly thought, uh, this is a team that may look to go with five starters and just play them 40 minutes a night unless they absolutely have to take guys out of the game moving forward because it didn't seem like they had trust in anybody. And now I feel like Puff is, has shown enough, and you're starting to see the scoring come to him a little bit. Yeah, he has those moments where he goes absent, but look, there's been times where guys that are starters have had moments like that on this team. So – you know, for him, being a redshirt freshman, coming off all the injuries that he had to deal with, it's understandable why it may be taking him a little bit of time to gain that consistency. Um, and Dontrez Styles is a true freshman. So they're counting on these guys to try to step up. And here's the thing. At this point, it's not an expectation that these guys are to have to step up. It's more of can can and you just you asking, hey, can somebody step up and help us out? And look, these two guys are rising to the occasion. I think Pup is definitely the guy that right now you probably feel the most confident in. But yeah, you're right. If this team wants to continue to advance in the NCAA tournament, they're going to need one or both of these guys to be really good moving forward, especially in this game on Saturday against Baylor. So, it, it, you know, they did a great job today, and it's great to see that they're providing stuff off the bench. Now, how does that carry over against a tougher opponent and a team that, look, we talked about the depth of this Marquette team. They had depth, but it was very youthful depth. Baylor's a little bit different. There's more talent there, and while there is some youth there, there's also a good mix of experience. So, it's a whole different monster with Baylor coming up. Yep. And when we come back, we're going to get you ready for Saturday's matchup against the defending national champion and number one seed in the East region, the Baylor Bears. But first, here is this week's ad from DraftKings. As if the McCrispy couldn't get any better, Bacon and Ranch just entered the chat. The Bacon Ranch McCrispy. Available at participating McDonald's for a limited time. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. 
College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your favorite team's victory into your own big win, and we mean the Tar Heels. Bet on the heels to get it done, guys. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win, the Tar Heels, and get $200 in free bets if they do so. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the College Hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like who will make it to the next round and who will hit the most three-pointers. Then track your results. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use the promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus, restrictions apply. See show notes for details. We hope you guys are taking great advantage of all these great offers I've been giving you on the four corners side of things. And same for Anthony over there on the heel tough blog side of things as he's taking you through spring football on the podcast um, as well. Let's dive into Carolina's next matchup. They'll be taking on Baylor sometime on Saturday as of recording. We do not have times for Saturday's slate of games, but um, you would would imagine with it being Carolina uh, to then taking on the defending national champion, this game will be in a prime TV viewing for ratings and all that great stuff that goes into the NCAA tournament. And the Bears come in 26-6 record. Uh, 27 and six record, excuse me. They are the number one seed in the East region. Um, if you remember last year in Carolina's bracket, Carolina was an eight seed. Their one seed was Baylor. Um, and Baylor, of course, would go on and win the national championship in convincing fashion over Gonzaga and Indianapolis. This is a different team. Um, they, they, they don't have Davian Mitchell and some other guys from last year's squad, but They've still got depth and a lot of experience. They got four players who average double figure scoring on their roster, but they will not have their leading scorer, LJ Cryer, a guy who has battled injuries throughout the, mo- the majority of the season, as he has only played in 19 games this far. To take it one step further, they lost uh, what was really the heart and soul of their interior of their roster um, and, and a guy who college basketball fans have come to adore just for his, his story of perseverance and what he's meant to Baylor and Jonathan Chamu Chachua. Um, he tore his ACL back during the middle of Big, Big 12 play. Um, but they've got names and they've got dudes. Um, James Akinjo, he's a transfer, big-time player. Adam Flagler, when he's playing at a high level, Baylor plays at a high level. Kendall Brown's one of the best young freshmen in college basketball. Matthew Maher has one of the best hairdos in college basketball and can stroke it from behind the three-point line. Add in Flo Thamba um, on, on, on the all-name team. And this is a Baylor team that at the beginning of the year looked like a team that – Dare we say we thought we might have been just as good, if not better, than last year's opponent that or last year's team. That turned out to not be true. But um, before the injuries, this was a clear-cut team worthy of competing for and defending their national championship. They went 5-3 and three in the regular season against top 25. So not only are they experienced, they are battle-tested. And uh, they're going to pose a challenge for Carolina Many times we've seen Carolina play as a one seed in their backyard. This year it's the opposite. The game is going to be in Fort Worth, Texas. It's going to be basically a road game for Carolina as they take on the one seed Baylor Bears. But, um, buddy, I know you picked Carolina to take down Baylor in advance to the second weekend of the tournament, and many people around college basketball have picked the same thing as well as they've been considered the most vulnerable number one seed. But Carolina can't read into all the press clippings and all the media the media love and attention because they've got a tough opponent they got to get ready for in 36 to 48 hours. Yeah, just have Mac Brown tell you about that experience. I'm pretty sure that'll get these dudes fired up to not read a single thing on social media about what people are saying. Look, for somebody that picks brackets, that's usually one of the scariest things you can hear because the most popular upsets never seem to be the ones that happen. Um, 
but I, you know, this is this is definitely one of the most vulnerable one seeds we've seen in a long time because you mentioned the two huge injuries to them, and and look, Chama Chachua didn't start games for them, but he was definitely the more impactful guy inside between him and and Flo Thama, who's who's a good player too, but. Chama Chachua was just, he could do so many different things for them inside and was a monster defensively. Um, you know, Cryer, that's huge. Yeah, this this is a team that, you know, scores the ball relatively well. This is the first time all season where if they did have LJ Cryer, Carolina would be facing a team just like them that has four guys in double figures. I don't remember us talking about another team this year that has that. So, that's the thing that's scary is this is a team that's built somewhat similar to you in the fact that they can spread the ball around and they don't lean on even just a group of guys to score the ball. Last time that Carolina really faced this type of team was probably you got to go back to Wake Forest. And we saw with that, what, what that group of that, that trio that scores the ball well did against Carolina. Now, much different Carolina team playing a lot better defensively and a much more confident team as well. But yeah, this is a game where you've got to be playing like the team that we've seen down the stretch of the season. And to be honest with you, you've probably got to play either your best game of the season or your second best game of the season. It's going to be hard to play much better than you did in that final game of the regular season. But you've got to bring that same type of energy to this game because, yeah, if, if I'm in that Tor Heel locker room and if I'm one of those players, even if I'm one of the coaches, I'm saying, look, I know that this scene, there's a lot of hype around this game, but what they're saying is true. This is a team that's vulnerable, and they know it. They just they, – they lost in their conference tournament to Oklahoma in – the quarterfinals, which was their first game of their conference tournament. A team that had lost their first game of their conference tournament has never won a national championship. So, Carolina, look, everything is going in the direction for Carolina, but it's it's got to be one of your best performances if you want to pull off this upset because, look, this is still a really good Baylor team. Scott Drew got over the hump last year, so there's going to be confidence. And you can't downplay the fact that this is one of the most experienced teams in the NCAA tournament this season, especially with everything that went on in the COVID year of 2020 that has a lot of teams without a ton of deep experience in the tournament. That's not the case for Baylor. No, it's definitely not. And, you know, experience matters as much as anything in, in March. Um, we've seen it, you know, throughout, throughout the first day of the tournament. You're going to see it tomorrow uh, as the second half of the first round tips off. And um, it, it's going to be a, a real deciding factor in who wins on Saturday when, when teams face adversity. Um, you, you would imagine Baylor will – will handle it a little bit better than Carolina has handled it or would handle it. But Carolina, despite being a young team, they've been through some adverse situations this year and they've, they fought through and they keep on bouncing back and getting back up. And that's why they enter with a 25 and nine record um, with their win over Marquette. They're now eight and four in the NCAA tournament as a number eight seed. Um, this would be this, the third time. If, if, if they were to to beat number one seed bear, they, they would have taken down a top seed as an eight seed in the in the NCAA tournament that happened back in the 80s when Rick Fox hit a buzzer beater to beat Oklahoma and then back during that 2000 magical run to the final four. And Carolina still has four players averaging double-figure scoring led by Armando Baycott. Um, let's get into our keys to the game. And one thing that I don't have written down – on the sheet, but it's still something I think we need to talk about is the game within the game. And you talk about the experience that exists on the court for Baylor, but also the experience on the bench that exists for the, the, their coaching staff. Scott Drew's been in Waco um, going on two decades now. That staff's been intact. They've 
they've handled their fair share of, you know, two-day turnarounds in the NCAA tournament, whether it's the 36 hours, 48 hours, whatever. They've gotten pretty good at how to get their team prepared. Carolina's a little bit different. You've got a first-time head coach who's having to do that and a relatively new staff. You know, Steve Robinson wasn't retained from Roy Williams' staff. Sean May, who's been on the official Carolina staff the last couple of years, but not a bench coach. So he's in a different role as well. Um, and then, you know, you, you add in um, Jeff Lebo, a guy who never coached in the NCAA tournament. So he doesn't know what it's like to even prepare for a situation like this. How much do you think that's going to factor into who wins this game, considering how experienced not only Baylor's team is, but how experienced their, co- uh, their coaching staff is compared to Carolina being inexperienced, both on the court and on the bench? I mean, look, it's not nothing. Clearly, there, there, there is a lot that goes into that. I mean, that was one of the things that we always looked at and, and said was a big advantage for Roy Williams. So if we're going to say that when Roy's here, you got to say the same thing for an opposing coach that has more experience than your new head coach. Um, and, and, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely a, a factor. Um, you know, the thing that I'm hoping that Coach Davis and his staff kind of realize is that, look, even though there are some of us that have picked this in their bra- in our bracket, and there are a lot of people that um, nationally are looking at this game and feel like this could be the upset, th- this would still be a situation where no matter what, the pressure is on Baylor. The pressure is not on Carolina to win this game. Um, Carolina got the job. They, they got the job done today to make this – a successful season. And I don't care. I've seen people say this on social media and it's mainly Duke fans that have said, well, Carolina fans are lowering their standards. They're they're now satisfied with a, with a round of 32 victory. Well, first of all, uh, didn't you guys just miss the NCAA tournament last year with the hall of fame head coach? That's what I thought. Uh, Second of all, um, no, it, it's called being realistic. And they're going to learn that next year when John Shire is their head coach. Um, you know, especially with where this team was at, too. Yeah, as, as a Tar Heel fan, after that Pittsburgh game, you should not have thought that was a tournament team. And if you did, you're a homer. There's no way around that. And that's okay. Believe me, we have our homer moments, too. But we came on this podcast and told you flat out the truth. That was not a tournament team at the time. For them to go from that point to now where they are today by beating Marquette by 32, the biggest margin of victory in the first round for an 8-9 game ever, is just amazing. And they deserve a ton of credit, and it deserves to be said that this season – is a successful one under Hubert Davis. So my point being is that, look, going forward, everything else is just icing on the cake. There's not pressure on you. The pressure is on everybody else. The pressure in this game is on Baylor to back up the fact that they were given a one seed over conference champions such as Tennessee and Villanova. And to back up the fact that, look, last year wasn't just a flash in the pan. This is a program that's on the rise and is going to be a problem in college basketball for years to come. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, Carolina's got to come in with that mindset. And, look, it's not going to be the same as, as, as the Duke mindset. No mindset will ever be the same as that game probably ever again. That was the most unique circumstance we have ever seen for a college basketball game. But they need to come into the with the mindset of, look, we need to play loose because even though there are some people that are picking this, the majority of people still don't believe that Carolina is going to get this done. They said there's a chance, but most people that I've seen in their bracket, they don't have the guts to actually pull the trigger on this one. So I, I, that, that's the mindset that you have to take is Carolina. Yes, the experience of the coaching staff on the other side is a factor. But if Hubert Davis and his coaching staff are just coming out and saying, look, we're just playing fast and loose because anything from here is gravy, I think Carolina will be perfectly fine. 
Well, one way they can be perfectly fine is if the perimeter shot making carries over. And I don't think they've got to shoot or make 13 of them like they did against Marquette. But they probably got to make anywhere from 8 to 10 to really give themselves a shot. The problem's going to be that um, Baylor's a much better defensive team than Marquette. And their guards play really good defense. And they're going to make it really hard for Carolina to not only get good looks at the rim or, or from behind the three-point line, but even quality looks. But um, there were there were shots that Carolina made against Marquette that were tough shots. And Carolina was just tough enough to to make the to make the shot and let the ball go through the bottom of the net. So um, the good news is that for Carolina is that I feel like the three-point shooting is now is more spaced out. It's Caleb Love. It's R.J. Davis. It's Brady Manning. And then off the bench, um, you know when Puff Johnson's on the court, he's not afraid to 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 let the to let it rip. So Carolina's got multiple options to shoot the ball from behind the the, the three point line. But um, you know th- this would be deemed an upset, um, even though it's a Power Five against a Power Five from a seed standpoint. It'd be an upset, and Baylor's a much deeper team. They're a much more talented team, and they're a better they're a better coach team. And usually, uh, one way you see a team get upset is you see great perimeter shooting. If it carries over for Carolina, and they can make anywhere from eight to ten, I feel like they'll put themselves in position to be in that ball game, to chance to win the ball game that final four minutes or so. Yeah, it's mainly just about hitting those tough shots from the perimeter. And and they've done it in the games that they've won this year. Their guards in particular have made those tough shots from the outside. And and, and Brady Manick, when you've needed shots, he's been able to knock down those ones that can trigger runs or that can stop runs on the other end. That's what you need in this game because there's going to be moments where Baylor – Baylor is too good – to not have moments where they will be in control of the game. You've got to be able to offset that with some of your shooting. And look, I understand you're going to want to go inside to Armando Baycott. Flo Thamba is going to be able to handle his own. And I I think Baycott, look, there's still going to be a size advantage. And I still think that he's a guy that you've got to try to get the ball into at times. But – Man, if this team, and we've talked about this all year from the beginning, this team's ultimate success goes through the play of the guards. And I don't think that there is any game that will show that more than this game. Like you said, this doesn't have to be a historic performance like this game against Marquette. It's probably not going to be because, yeah, Baylor is, man, they, they are a really good defensive team once again this year. Losing Davion Mitchell hurt, and I'm going to tell you one thing. I am glad that Carolina does not have to play him in this game because, my God, even at the NBA level, he can absolutely shut people down. Mm-hmm. But this is still a really good defensive backcourt, probably the best that Carolina has faced maybe since the first time that they played Duke, because the second time they played the Blue Devils, that team just wasn't as good defensively as they were the first time. But it, And they've got to be up to the challenge. But I think that the way that this team is playing offensively, and if that ball movement continues to stay at the level that it does as well, there is a legitimate chance that Carolina can pull this upset. Yeah, and you mentioned the guard play, and that's – you know, it, it's so unfair to put the weight of the world on one kid. But how many times has, has it been proven that when Caleb Love plays well, Carolina looks like a really good basketball team? And when Caleb Love doesn't play well, Carolina usually gets blown out and they don't like a good basketball team. It's going to take more than just him tomorrow. R.J. Davis today, or t- today, four points, but handed out 12 assists. He can hand out 12 assists again on Saturday. He's going to have to put the ball in the basket um, and, and, and really, uh, you know, help Caleb Love because Baylor is a guard-driven team. Even before the injury, the injuries with uh, or Jonathan Tomu-Chachua, um, this is a team that lives and dies off of the, the backcourt production, and they've got five guys that can put the ball in the basket um, or had five guys. Now without LJ Cryer, they're down to four, but Carolina is going to need Caleb Love and R.J. Davis to be at their absolute best. 
if they want a chance to advance. Um, this this tournament is won and it's lost by guard play. That's going to be said for, for Saturday for Carolina. Um, and I feel like Caleb Love has rounded into form where we know in a big game situation he's going to show up. Now it's about R.J. Davis being his wingman and putting the ball in the basket alongside with him. Yeah, and, and you know, it's weird because there was a point in the season where R.J. Davis was clearly the more consistent of the two, but we've seen some ebbs and flows from him late in the year. Now, the good thing is is that he's impacting the game in other ways. But, yeah, this is one of those areas where you just got to see him start to make some shots for you. Um, and, and I think he's more than capable of doing it. And we've seen him step up at times. I mean, look, he did it against Duke in that second matchup. That, that was – and, and, and even with you could go back and look at the statistics and say, well, statistically it didn't stack up. That was the best game of R.J. Davis's career. Mm-hmm. There's no no doubt in my mind that that's the truth. In that type of environment, in that moment, he stepped up and was exactly what the Tar Heels needed. And, and like I said, with the team overall, I think R.J. Davis, this has to be one of his best performances of the season, either his best or second best. He's, he's got to be locked in in this game. And, look, he did a tremendous job in this game against Marquette. That, that was the first time in a while where you looked out there and you said, you know what, it looks like Carolina's got a true point guard out there. Even though he's still a combo guard and we know he's not a true point guard, this uh, – he gives you the feel of a true point guard right now. Um, but we'll see. I think you've got to see him be able to knock down some shots. I think also, I think Leaky Black, you know, he had a couple of opportunities in this game uh, against Marquette and, and, and wasn't able to knock down the shots. You need him to get back to that point where he's able to knock down a couple of those big shots for you when he's open. And if he can do that, Maybe you get some of that bench production that we were talking about. You you, you feel good about where this this Tariel team is from the perimeter. That's an area where I've never really been concerned for, about this team from the outside. And I know for Carolina fans, that's weird because it doesn't feel like many seasons you can do that. Maybe outside of yeah, two thousand seventeen. 18 to or 2016 17 I mean the, uh, you, you feel you felt pretty good when you had Justin Jackson there 2018 19 was what I was looking for with Cam Johnson but outside of that Carolina has been extremely inconsistent from the outside there's never been a point this season where I've said to myself man Carolina's in in, in trouble from the outside and that feels good so I, I feel confident going in in that area for Carolina, and, and I think they'll, they'll be able to hit at least enough shots to keep them in the game. It's about can they hit, uh, you know, the, the amount that they need to from the outside to put them over the top. And the last key to the game is going to be able to establish an inside presence through Armando Baycott, Brady Manick on the perimeter as well, um, just simply because Baylor – as I mentioned, they're a guard-driven team, so they rely on production from their backcourt. Their guards can get to the glass, and and they they all value rebounding the ball as they, they still average over 37 rebounds per game. But without uh, Chachua, they don't really have a natural matchup with Armando Baycott outside of Flo Thamba. And kind of like with Marquette, when, when Carolina put the ball inside, they usually got a good shot and they got a good result. It's going to be harder to get the ball inside because how much defensive pressure Baylor will put out there on the perimeter. But in addition to the guards playing well, Armando Baycott has a chance to feast and feast all night inside. And that's going to be the real thing. It, it, it's going to kind of like the Duke game where you got great uh play in the backcourt led by a great play in the front court it's going to take a total team effort and if if Armando Baycock can anchor the painted area and finish around the rim and control the glass couple that with Carolina's uh, guards making perimeter jump shots they're they're, they're going to give themselves a chance and that's really all we're asking for this team when they take the court against Baylor and what will be a neutral but road environment yeah and and you know that's 
it was something that we honestly, I don't think thought we would look at with this team because of what we were told and say, well, rebounding is going to be one of the keys uh, to the success of this team overall in terms of they have to dominate on the glass, but they've been able to do it at points this season and they did it against Marquette and you need, that's an area in this game against a smaller team and it was one of those ones when I was eyeing that matchup last year where Carolina, I felt like Carolina would have the advantage. I think they do in this game, especially without Chama Chachua there. Um, and they don't really have those dominant guys. But like you said, it really comes from all over. Now, you know, for Carolina, yeah, you're starting to see more and more contributions from everybody. Carolina is starting to see the guards pitch in. Um, those those wing guys have really stepped it up, especially the guys off the bench. I mean, you look today, Dontre Styles was doing some really good things on the glass uh, when he was in the game. So you need that type of performance on the glass for Carolina in this game. That's got to be where you, you make up the advantage because, look, you've got to be able to rip down some of those offensive rebounds and finish those second-chance opportunities. If you can do that, it's going to be hard for Baylor because you're at that point you are going to pretty much put them in a situation where they have to make shots against you. And look, if they do, there's simply nothing that you can do about it. But if you're you know putting the the, the pressure on them by getting two, three possessions at times when you go down the court, if you're missing those perimeter jump shots, it's going to be hard for them to contain you. So. I feel like Carolina, as the season has gone along especially, you've started to feel more and more confident that they have that that, that dominant presence at times there. And with Armando Baycott, how could you not feel confident in that area, especially after – I mean, look, he played a good game today. I don't think he was nearly as dominant as he probably wanted. And at times we've seen that kind of fuel him in the next game and in some of the bigger games of the season. So – I expect he will step up and play a huge role in this game on the glass and finishing inside for Carolina uh, on Saturday against Baylor. The ESPN's College Basketball Power Index has not yet revealed who they predict to win the game, but Carolina does enter as five-and-a-half-point underdogs for what that's worth for Saturday's matchup against Baylor. This is where I picked Carolina to bow out in the NCAA tournament. Um, so I will stand by my pick. I will pick Baylor to still win the game because I do think they are a better team, a deeper team, and a better coach team. But I, I'm not going to be as overly surprised if Carolina wins the game as I was when I was filling out the bracket. No LJ Cryer is going to be a big loss for them in this game. It didn't really show up for Baylor in their win over Norfolk State in the first round, but not having him on the court is going to be a, a big thing for them to deal with on Saturday. It gives Carolina much more of a chance to be competitive and at least be in the game deep into that second half. But I do think at the end of the day, Baylor's experience both on the court with its players and on the bench with its coaches that will reign supreme and I do think our 2021-22 season comes to a close I can't wait till I'm doing the recap podcast of this game by (laughs) myself because you have officially been taken off the podcast if they continue to make a run um no look I I you know, all along, I mean, look, it's it's definitely not the sexiest matchup for Carolina. Look, there are still challenges that this team is going to present. The fact that they have three guards that can score the basketball scares the hell out of me because two teams we, – we saw Carolina earlier in the season play two teams that had three guards or at least a versatile wing to go along with two guards that absolutely shredded Carolina. Um, but I feel like this team is just in a different spot right now. I feel like there's extra motivation. And, yeah, I, I know it sounds cliche, but it was something that we always saw with Roy Williams' teams, and I think it's, it's, it's holding up at this point. This team is playing their best basketball right now, and it's, it's very obvious. Um, the, the, the fact that they were as dominant 
and they put up the type of historic performance that they did uh, in this game against Marquette cannot be overlooked. I think with the injuries and I think just with, with the fact that Carolina is playing at this high of a level, I think they have just enough to get it done over Baylor. It's going to be a nail biter. There's, there's, if you're thinking that Carolina can roll in and this team's so banged up that Carolina can win this game comfortably and maybe even pull away, this is not the game for you. You're going to have to pop some Tums, some Rolades, whatever the hell you take to calm down the stomach and make sure you take your anxiety medication if you're on it. I will be taking mine and maybe having a few alcoholic beverages as well. You got to be locked in for this one for the long haul, but I think Carolina in the end gets it done in a close one. I like Carolina 78-76 over Baylor. Oh, there you go, guys. Uh, as Anthony said, if, if if Carolina wins and they pull the upset, he'll be hosting the recap of the edition of the podcast as I will be fired for the rest of the season as I do have Baylor knocking us out of the NCAA tournament on Saturday. Well, it is going to wrap up this edition of the podcast, but we do encourage you guys to go to the website, HeelToughBlog.com, get your latest on Carolina's win over Marquette. I'll be getting you ready for a Saturday's matchup against Baylor as I continue to take you through the NCAA tournament as long as Carolina is still competing. As for the football side of things, whenever some news comes out regarding spring practice or whatever, Anthony will have you covered as Carolina still works their way through during their 2022 spring ball edition. As for the podcast, you know where to find us. Every major podcast podcasting platform, most notably Spreaker, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, TuneIn, and Google Podcasts. But um, go to those places, check us out, like the pod, review the pod, but most importantly, hit that subscribe button. That way you don't miss any additions throughout the remainder of the season. What well, is going to wrap up this edition of the podcast? Do you want to thank Anthony for hosting with me? Want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. The Four Corners Podcast is a proud member of the Basketball Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter at HoopsPodNet or visit our website, www.thebasketballpodcastnetwork.com to find the best basketball podcast.